Well, good morning. Good morning, Poetry Baptist Church. I know I'm in trouble when I can't say good morning at the beginning of a sermon, so y'all better put your seatbelts on. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to pray that God would be present in and through His Word. Father God, we thank You again for this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are the eternal Word, the eternal Logos. And we pray, Lord, this morning that You would be present in and through the preaching and the teaching of Your Word here in this place and in the hearts of those who are present. God, I ask forgiveness for my lips, those of an unclean man, in an effort to deliver the perfection of your word that I'll always fall short, God. But I thank you that because of your spirit, that between their departing my lips and landing on the soil of the hearts of those who are present, that you'll do the miraculous. That your seed will be planted, and we pray that it will be planted in fertile soil, that it would produce an abundant harvest 30, 60, a hundred times that which has been sown. And Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but today is what we call Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And so we have been in the Gospel of Matthew in our Equip series. And so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21, what we oftentimes refer to as the triumphal entry. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 21, I'm going to read. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them. And immediately he will send them. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their robes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who were following kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? And the crowd kept saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. It's interesting, isn't it? As I was preparing this week for Palm Sunday, I read in the Gospel of Matthew, I read in the Gospel of Mark, and Luke, and in John, and in only one of the Gospels are palms even mentioned. You already knew that, didn't you, though? Some people said yes. Some people said no. Some people said yes, and they didn't really know, but that's okay. That's all right. 
I want to point something out before we go any further this morning is that, see, the whole point to everything that we're doing, I oftentimes meet with a friend of mine and he says, Kevin, we're not really that bright. That's why God calls us sheep. And we need to be reminded of why it is that we're here. We need to be reminded of why it is that we're coming to church on Sundays. Why we are the church. And the reason is, is because there's this thing. It's called the need. Our need as depraved, desperately, helplessly, hopelessly lost human beings apart from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The need. See, we made a decision long ago in Eden, in Adam. Many people don't like that idea. I wasn't there. I wasn't there with Adam, so why do I have to pay the penalty of sin? The Scripture makes it really clear that if you have a problem with the person who made the mistake and you are associated with him and the penalty of death, if you don't like that, then you also should have a problem with having your sin taken care of in another person who is Jesus Christ. See, Adam, he's our representative of sin. And Jesus is the one who came and took care of that need at the cross. See, there's a need, and then there's the life. And in two slides, that is the gospel. That is the good news, is that humanity, we all have made a decision. Psalm 51.5, David made it very clear. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We have a problem with that. How could it be? It's in God's Word. So we get to deal with it. It's in here. God said it. It's true. And whether or not you believe that you were a sinner at the moment of conception, the first time as an infant that you were jealous, that you were selfish, you committed a sin. The first time that words probably came out of your mouth. We have a little baby, Hannah. She can't even really talk yet. She's got a few words. And when Papa comes home and I bend over, and I go over to the little dog, Toby, and I start rubbing his head, Hi, Toby. Hannah walks over. And Mama has seen it. The girls have seen it. Connor's seen it. Hannah gets a look on her face. And she walks over and she swats Toby out of the way. And then she steps in. And she'll act like, if Toby's not there, she'll kind of turn her back. And she's like, Dad, I don't really care whether or not you talk to me. And then Toby runs up. And Toby, I start lavishing my affection on him. And this precious little baby whom we love. But see, the reality is is that we know, Christine and I know, that that baby came into this world hopelessly helplessly lost, depraved, separated from God. There's a need, and there's a solution. There's the life. That's Jesus Christ. What does that have to do with Palm Sunday, Pastor? It has everything to do with Palm Sunday. I want you to turn back in your Bible one chapter, to Matthew chapter 20. And in verse 17... depending on your translation. Chapter 20, verse 17, it says, While going up to Jerusalem, 
Jesus took the twelve disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be resurrected on the third day. I want you to look up at that picture right there. I want you to look up at the screen and see what that is. It's an outline. It's a picture of Jesus sitting there riding the donkey. And depending on your perspective, I want you to picture in your mind that it's not Jesus facing us, looking at us, because it's just a dark outline and you can't really tell the perspective. But what it is, is it's Jesus on the Mount of Olives and he's looking down over an area and he sees the city of Jerusalem and what it tells us in the Gospels it says that Jesus came to that point and he wept. He wept over Jerusalem. See, because he knew that there were going to be countless number of people who were going to mock him, that were going to flog him, and that were going to crucify him. And so when you look at that picture of Jesus sitting there on the donkey, looking out, what I want you to see is the dauntless king. The word dauntless means unimpeded, unhindered, relentless. There's nothing that's going to stop him. Jesus is our dauntless king. The Gospel of John in chapter 12, you can turn there or you can just listen says that the crowd took palm branches and went to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! That's the only gospel where palms are mentioned. What's interesting is that Jesus, here in Matthew's gospel, it talks about his disciples, the ones who he called to be fishers of men. It doesn't say that they had palm branches. It says that they laid their robes on the donkey and the colt, and he sat on them. That's all it says about his disciples. And it says there's a very large crowd that spread their robes. And then it says, and even others were cutting branches from the trees. There's three groups. Disciples, there's a smaller crowd, and then there's a larger crowd. The disciples... The larger crowd was the crowd that actually witnessed Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. They don't have palm branches. So maybe in the back of your head you might be asking, well then why do we call it Palm Sunday? Why do we celebrate and call it Palm Sunday? And the honest answer from your pastor is, I don't know. Maybe at the end of this, maybe next year when we celebrate, we won't call it Palm Sunday. Maybe we'll call it something else. Maybe we'll be a little counter-Christian culture, which I really love. And then there's this larger crowd, this larger group of people, it says, and they were cutting branches, and we find out what kind of branches those are in John's Gospel. They're palm branches. And they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the word Hosanna in Hebrew, as I shared with the little kids during Poetry Pals, is it means, save us! It could be a prayer. It could be a demand. 
It really just depends on who's saying it, right? It depends on where your heart is and what it is that you're asking Jesus to do and to be. As I shared with those little kids, I think oftentimes in our lives that we don't ever really graduate from being seven years old. And we kind of look at life as being a big birthday party, right? Life is my big birthday party. And instead of praying to God, God, Hosanna, save us, save me from my sin. And God, Hosanna, grant us success in the mission and the ministry of the gospel. What we pray for is save me so that I can have the unicorn. So that I can have the promotion at work. So that I can have the big house on the corner. So that we can afford the, the landscaping. So that we can afford, afford, afford the vacay. Save us. Grant us success. Success in what? Success in what? We just read that from Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. And my question to you is, what does it mean? What does it mean when we say that? When you ask God, God, please save me. Are we saying that we simply want God to save us from our sins? But without ever calling Him Lord? Without ever making our lives completely obedient to the will of the Father? We just want to have a little bit of hell insurance in our back pocket, right? We just want to know, God, if we do the right things, and if we say the right words in the right order, then we've got that get-out-of-jail-free card in our back pocket. Jesus, save me. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, immediately, they left their nets. James and John left their dad and the boat and the family business and they followed Jesus. And I wonder if as Christians... That when we call out to Jesus and we say, Jesus, save me. If we're doing what those disciples did. Or if we simply want God to take care of the problem, but we never really want to give him our lives. What does it mean when we say, Hosanna? As I read through the stories, through all of the four gospel accounts, and I did my research, and I looked at my commentaries, all the stuff that I read this week, the conclusion that I came to is that Jesus is undaunted and unimpressed. Jesus is undaunted and he's unimpressed. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. See, we like to think that as Jesus went in, the triumphal entry, I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but the, the gospel accounts, they differ just a little bit. And in Mark's gospel, it's really pretty anticlimactic. I want to read it for you here. 
I'm not going to read the whole thing, but after the crowd is saying, Hosanna in the highest, and then in verse 11 of Mark 11, it says, And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went back to Bethany with the twelve. Isn't that strange? The triumphal entry of Jesus is him coming into Jerusalem with crowds waving palms and robes and things laid on the ground. And Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple complex and he looks around. And it was late, so he left. Is that how you would write the script? Is that how we would make the movie of Jesus? No, see, we like the idea of Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? With the 22-inch arms and the camo vest on with grenades and the utility belt and the stogie sticking out of his mouth. And Jesus, Arnold Jesus, goes into the temple complex and he blows things up. But that's not what Jesus did. Not yet. What makes it a triumphal entry? Jesus went into the temple... And he looked around, and it was late, and he left. Why do we call it the triumphal entry? Jesus stood there at the Mount of Olives, and he looked out, and he was undaunted. See, he was undaunted, knowing full well as we began the sermon today, that he was going to be mocked and flogged, and crucified. He knew that, and yet he stood there and wept over Jerusalem, and he still went, the dauntless king. He knew that the crowds that were waving the palms and having the Jesus pep rally, that when he was arrested, that they would be nowhere to be found. He's unimpressed. And I think, I think... Jesus feels the same way about much of what we do today as a church. Is that we make a big hubbub about ourselves. We're all about self-promotion. And we wave our palms, whatever that looks like. And I think Jesus is standing there saying, Yeah, but where are you going to be tomorrow? Where are you going to be tomorrow? Where are you going to be when that person who's walking by and my spirit leans in and says, share the gospel? And we say, ah, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, I really came here to Costco to buy some groceries and to get my tires. And I really didn't come here to share the gospel. And I think Jesus is unimpressed. We say, but we sang some really good songs on Sunday. I could, I could feel, I could feel the Spirit moving on Sunday. And what did we do with it? See, when Monday came, after we got done waving our flags and our palms, and we went out into the world, Jesus is unimpressed. He's unimpressed with our pep rally and our palms. See, before the triumphal entry... Before he identified at his baptism, before his incarnation, before the nation of Israel fell, before the nation of Israel was even called, before Abram took Isaac and put him up on the altar, 
before God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12.3 that he would bless all the nations through his obedience. Before that, before Noah, before the flood, before Adam and Eve in the garden, before all of that, that same picture of Jesus sitting there on the donkey, in eternity past, he looked out and he knew that he was going to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He knew all of it. And still, in Genesis 1.26, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit got together in a literal holy huddle and they said, let us, let us make them in our image and according to our likeness. And you don't hear Jesus say, but Dad, they're going to they're gonna crucify me. You don't hear Jesus say, Dad, isn't, isn't there another way? Isn't there a way where, where maybe we just save a couple of them? The ones who are the really good ones. He doesn't say that. See, he's the dauntless king. He knows what's coming, and yet he still comes. God still creates the universe. He's still born in a manger. He still identifies with humanity in the Jordan River at his baptism. He still trains up and calls these disciples who are utter knuckleheads, just like me and you. And he still went into Jerusalem. See, because in Revelation 13.8, it says the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the foundation of the cosmos, the entire universe that was created so that God could have a place for us to dwell with Him, knowing full well that we would rebel. And Jesus stood on that Mount of Olives and He looked out and He wept over Jerusalem. See, he's undaunted, but he's also unimpressed. In John's Gospel, in chapter 12, there's a story just before the triumphal entry. Just before. Lazarus has already been raised, and his sister Mary, they're having a little party. They're having a little dinner party at their house. And they're so thankful for what Jesus has done for their brother. And all the people that are around, and all the disciples, and the one person that we read about is Mary. See that Jesus is sitting there and Mary gets it. Mary gets it. And she goes and she takes this expensive perfume that's the equivalent of a year's wage. A year's wage for a common worker. Whatever your median income is across the United States, think that's what she has sitting in this bottle of perfume. And it's sitting there and it's waiting for Jesus. And then she realizes, you know, what I'm going to do with this is I'm not going to wait until he's dead. I'm not going to wait until he's dead and go into a tomb that's not even going to have a body because I understand that my Lord is going to be the risen king. He's not going to be there. What am I going to do with this oil? I'm going to use it right now because Jesus is right now in front of me. And he's resolutely set his face to Jerusalem and he's in my presence and I'm not going to wait until Sunday. 
I'm not going to wait until the next mission trip. He's with me right now. And I'm going to go and I'm going to get it and I'm going to pour it on him. And I'm going to take my hair and my tears and I'm going to just wipe it all over his feet. That's what Mary did. And see, that's what it looks like to love Jesus. To lavish Him, it doesn't look like us standing with terrible towels and palms and laying cloaks in the road. Jesus isn't impressed by any of that. And I don't think He's really impressed a whole lot with us. I don't think He's really impressed a whole lot with me. He's undaunted and He's unimpressed. We started our Gospel of Matthew We've said it many times, and I'll say it many times again as we continue. So Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. People in the kingdom function like people of the kingdom. What is Palm Sunday about? When you say, Hosanna, what are you saying? Are you calling out to vending machine Jesus? Are you calling out to the Jesus who's simply going to fix your immediate problems and circumstances? Or are you calling out to the King of Eternity, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world? Hosanna. Is it a birthday wish? Or is it a prayer? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you've given us the ministry of prayer. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so today, God, I want to ask that everyone present, that we would stop all of the thoughts that are running through our heads about lunch and life and problems and issues and business and whatever else. And we put all that on pause for just a moment. And we think about the ministry of reconciliation. That it took you going to the cross, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And yet we fill our lives and our minds and our hearts like little kids with birthday wishes. Asking for things and for resolutions to address our problems. Rather than asking you to grant us success, that we would be people intimately, passionately invested in the mission and the ministry of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So when we say right now in this moment, Hosanna, we're asking you, Lord, that you would save us. Save us from our sin, first and foremost. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the depravity and the sin that clings onto us and wants to make us think the things that Satan lays before us, the shiny things of the world, that those are the most important. When the most important thing, as Mary understood, was you. And we have you before us right now in this moment. God, we pray that you wouldn't allow us to let it pass by that we would seize it. And if we don't know you, that we would call out in desperation, save us. And you promise that you will. That if we confess with our lips and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, you promise 
And we believe that, God. And for those who already know you, whether it's little kids or teenagers, adults, senior citizens, whoever, anyone and everyone that's present here today, God, that our prayer would be that you would grant us success as your people, as your bride, as your church. Help us to be ambassadors and instruments of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of invitation, I would just simply ask that you would respond. Respond. Respond.